So I know that one thing that's really important to my dad is knowing that we are passing on the wisdom of the experiences that he lived through and sort of what he felt was important raising me as a kid to to our kids today. And I found a a video interview that I did with him in 2016. This was early in 2016. He had been diagnosed with with cancer, colon cancer, about a month before this. And he came out to visit us and I wanted to get an interview with him. And we sat and we talked for about an hour just about, about a variety of different things. And the conversation about halfway through shifted to his experience coming here. He came here as a 14-year-old or 15-year-old kid. Uh, hadn't seen his father for many years because his father had already been working over here for a while right after the Second World War. And just what that experience was like. And I've had many different discussions with my dad. And I think that the really important thing to pay attention to here is the purpose for all of this is a lot of times we don't understand as adults why our parents behaved in certain ways when it comes to parenting toward us. And that's the whole purpose of doing this this audio series for my kids is so that they have a better understanding of not only how we parented them, but now we also give them the gift of understanding how their grandparents were raised up. And when I was making this audio and I was listening to this interview again, I realized in listening to this interview with my dad, I hadn't listened to this since 2016, really. And in hearing some of the things that he talks about, I realized why we were not as involved socially as maybe some some other of my friends were. Now, that's not to say that we were hermits or anything like that. We I did things with school and, and all kinds of other stuff like that. But in terms of being involved socially in the community, what's very interesting is that I've noticed that my parents are much more socially active today than when I was a kid. And I didn't realize what the climate was at the time. And my dad goes on to explain that in this interview that I, do, that I, I did with him. And it made me really realize that what worked for our parents at the time will not necessarily work for us in the present and certainly might not work for our kids in the future. But if we don't understand why that was done, then we will repeat that pattern without questioning it. Like, so for example, one of the things that I know that I, I need to focus more on is building networks and socializing. And I get, I'm, get around fine without being highly networked. But at the same time, I realize that there is a potential downfall to that. And I realize after listening to my dad's interview that I did with him, the reason why that was avoided. Now today, that's not something that I need to worry about, but I'm still behaving in the same way that I observe them. So what I want to do is I want, I want to play this interview for you. What's really interesting and what I want you to pay attention to is I want you to notice when he talks about becoming a U.S. citizen, he doesn't refer to himself as a U.S. citizen. He refers to himself as an American. 
I think that that's really fascinating. It's an identity that he takes on. Yeah, of course, he passed the citizenship test. He's a U.S. citizen, but he identifies as an American. We've had a discussion about this too, because this came up for us uh, around the time of the second Iraq war. Um, and, and then, of course, after 9-11, there was some real conflict that we had uh, because his identity as an American was conflicted with what he was seeing. And so that created a lot of very spirited discussions and, and a lot of conflict that we've, we've worked through. But it's a double-edged sword of the identity is very powerful, but it's also, it also comes with that double edge. And we've discussed that. I think it's also really interesting too, for my kids' perspective, to notice the pros and the cons of that. Also to notice what my dad says about college. Now, a really interesting thing from my perspective is if you have spent any time in any of the New England states or, or, or New York or Connecticut, which I guess is a New England state, but and you have driven on the road or drunk the water, then my dad is probably directly responsible for the safety of that project from an inspection standpoint. And I, I find that to be fascinating. My dad was on the road from four o'clock in the morning and got home around six o'clock at night for my entire life. I think he's been working for 44, 43 or 44 years and he loves it. Now, of course, that came with some trade-offs, some substantial trade-offs in terms of being around for me and raising me up. And we've also had these discussions as well. So this, that's not what this particular session is about right here. We've, we've had the airing of grievances. We've had those discussions. And I applaud my dad for being um, open to those discussions because it was not easy always to, uh, to discuss that. But I tell you, my dad loves what he does. And I think that he would actually, when he does retire, I'm, I'm actually, I'll say that I'm, I'm concerned. I'd be, I'd be concerned for him because I don't know what he's going to do with himself. He, he loves he loves making sure that giant municipal public works projects go as they're supposed to go and that the product is delivered, the project is delivered uh, safely and on or above spec. And I mean, the commitment that that takes to go to these job sites that are not always in the same place because by definition, a public work project is always changing regionally, these large public work projects. I mean, I'll give you an example, like the big dig, for example, like that, that magnitude and scale. So that, that, the big dig uh, was, was a giant public works project in the Boston, Massachusetts area that spanned several years and, you know, a multi, multi-billion dollar project. The point of this is my dad talked, well, when I did the interview with him, we talked about what it takes to become a successful engineer to be trusted. And it's much more than education. It's actually the education is just a tiny little fraction actually of what he talked about being successful. And the other pieces were the stuff that in theory should be much easier to get, but you have to work and people have to trust you in order to earn that. You can, I guess you can earn a degree 
but you earn a degree from an institution, whereas you earn trust and a reputation from the people that you work with. And that's kind of what he's, he's talking about there. But once again, this, the real reason for this, for me making this particular uh, recording right here is my dad's, he's, uh, he's going into his eighth decade now. And this is honestly, I think a birthday gift that he will not forget. I was thinking about things to get him for, for his, his birthday and he doesn't need anything. What am, what am I going to get him? Another, you know, a laptop, a new smartphone. How about the gift of knowing that we're talking about his wisdom that he has attained over the years, the good things he's done, the trade-offs he's had to make, some of the mistakes that he's made along the way, some of the things that he could have done better, some of the perspectives that he has held, how those perspectives benefited the family, how those perspectives were costly to the family, and then framing that so that it will be useful to his grandchildren, my children. I can't think of a better gift to give someone than that. And so with that, I'm going to go and I'm going to play for you right now the interview that I did with my dad. This is a month after he was diagnosed with, with cancer. My interview skills were a little bit different at the time. And also I was, you know, it was, it was challenging for me, obviously, because my dad had just been diagnosed with with cancer and we had just actually found out that we were having another another kid we were having my daughter and so in the conversations that I've had with my dad since then we have we've been a little bit more direct and stuff but I was definitely feeling the pressure and I'm sure he was as well so I'm going to play this and then I'm going to wrap it up at the end well, I want to ask you some questions now, Dad, about what it was like to come here in, in the U.S. and what that was like going through school and all those sort of things. I think that that would be useful for Isaac to know all that stuff. Okay, 1965, I came over here with my family. And at the time, it was very difficult to come here. Okay, we came on a visa to stay. Basically... It originates way back when my grandfather came here in 1901, working in the coal mines of Pennsylvania. So then from there, he was, him and his brother, he was sent out to, to Rhode Island. Believe it or not, in Rhode Island, there were some coal mines up in the hills. So then after 25 years, my uncle Tony came over, which I was named after. And then my father came over in the mid-50s after my Uncle Tony called him. So basically there was 25 years, 20 years between family member, members coming over. So then when my father came over in the mid 50 he called us to come over in 1965. So basically in 1965, I was 15 years old. I studied French and Latin, no English, unfortunately. So we, my brother and I, we started the school in Rhode Island. There was a huge school, high school. And uh, as a matter of fact, it was so huge, some 600 people graduated my graduation class. And they were one-way corridor. And I remember that I didn't know what one-way means, even though the arrow shows over there. There were people who were going one-way. That's how 
how huge the high school was. So th that was my first indoctrination in the uh, American school system to go to a big school and one way corridor. Okay. So, of course, then after that, I went to school. My parents instilled in us, my, my brother and my sister, to go to college. So we did graduating college in 1974, 1970 rather. And I took, we, I studied civil environmental engineering with an associate degree in architecture, believe it or not. And then after that, in this country, if you want to work, there is plenty of work. So we started from the bottom and you work your way up. So basically that was, I love this country. I mean, this country, if you want to work and you're willing to work, opportunities. So there isn't nothing that I can say better about this country. So Now your dad wasn't a coal miner, right? Your, your dad came over in the 50s and... He worked as a mason. So my, my grandfather was a coal miner in the Pennsylvania uh, coal mines. But my, my, my basically, they started in 1901, even though I came here in 1965. So my grandfather came here in 1901, so it took like 64 years for the grandfather to the grandchild to come over, 65 years. And what did you, so your dad was amazed, what did he do when he came over here? Well, he started working for a big company in, in Rhode Island, which actually built uh, 95 in Rhode Island from Connecticut to Massachusetts. So he was the mason actually building all the catch basins and manhole throughout 95 North and South. That's how big, you know, they had a, that company had a big job to construct uh, 95. So actually construction has been in the family, even though engineering, my brother said this is a surveyor, land surveyor. So we basically, it's been in a family. My father was also a mason in Italy. so. It was, that's, that's a family that actually been in construction and engineering for, for years. And he's, he continued to work into his 70s, almost 80s, just because he liked to, right? Absolutely. My father, I think he built his last house when he was 76. Yep. And he was actually involved in the building because he broke his leg, right? That's right. That's right. He broke his, 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 broke his leg. Actually, one time he fell off the ladder. 76 years old. My dad is 92 right now. His health is not that good, but still kicking. Yeah. And he was building a house at 76, not because he had to, but because he wanted he to. He wanted right? to. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you had to come here. You had to learn the language at the time. Learn the language. There yep. was no uh, option to select which language you want to test in. No. So you came English. over here, you knew Latin, you knew French, and you knew Italian. Right. All of which were fairly useless right. to you. Right. Latin, actually, the Latin probably helped you a little bit with the language, the English language derivation. The Latin did help somewhat, you know, to use the fancy words, okay? Yeah. But other than that, no. They just learned the language, take your uh, driving license in, in English. There was no different languages. Everybody learned and survived. And, and how did you find that you were treated? You were making an effort to, to learn the language. You were making an effort to, you, you wanted to work. You saw that your father was able to work. You saw that that was, how was he perceived for his effort of working a lot? And how did you find yourself perceived when you got here and, and demonstrated the desire to work a lot? Well, that, that, that was like the whole principle was that 
my family want us to be much better than them. So is that a question that you're asking? I think so. So basically, they, they could have said, no, go to work, go to a factory. But my parents instill us to go to college, so they want... My father used to show me his hands all broken up because as being a mason, he would tape his fingers every, every day. So he would tell me, Tony, you want to do this the rest of your life? So go to school, get an education, and then you'll take it from there. You do better than, than me, basically. He said the same thing to my sister, go to college, and my brother. My father worked hard, and I worked five days, six days a week. Yeah, after school, I had a part-time job, and believe it or not, my first, my first job when I came over here, 16, I started at 16, was building bicycles, okay? Now, at the time, United States had um, three-speed bicycle and single-speed. So, because in Italy, we had racing bicycle, and after school in Italy, uh, there was a bike, bicycle shop maybe about half a mile away from my home. So after school, I would go there and kind of mess around with the derailers and the brakes. So when I came in the United States, my big boss over the, at the outlet store, he told me, what, what, do you, what do you know how to do? I said, well, I'm built bicycle, whatever. I do whatever. So I was in charge at 60 years old. I was in charge of building bicycles because I knew the derailers, how to put them together. Well, there were five speed for women, 10 speed for men. That's a little bit, you know, not politically correct today, but that was, that's what we had, all kinds of imports. We had imports from Italy, Germany, and England. So at the time, that's, that's what I did when I was 16 years old, all the way up to 19 years old. The thing I want for Isaac to understand is, you know, back in, way back when, this used to be a place where, yeah, you were a foreigner, you were an immigrant to the place, but nobody could hold a candle to working hard right? and, and, and putting it in the effort to become a citizen. Right. After six years, I, I, I think I was the first one to become an American citizen from my family. I believe at the time was five years with the green card and then I became an American, I believe maybe it was nine years. Yeah, 1974. So it was nine years I became an American citizen. I was the first one in my family. It wasn't that easy. I mean, the language, the English language is not that easy. But if you study, uh, it, 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 you know, it's easy. It, it, after a while, it just comes to you. Because basically everybody around you speaks English. So you have to kind of acclimate to to the country that you're coming in. You don't come here with a huge amount of money. No. But there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah. So how, how is the mentality of not, I want to go there and get free stuff, but the mentality of, I want to go there because I have more opportunity not to get free stuff, but to build myself up than right. I did in the old right. place. Right. The, the opportunity is here. We, we never came over here that we thought we were going to get free stuff from the government. It was... You go to the United States, you work hard, the money's yours. You know, you have to pay Uncle Sam, of course. But that was the mentality then. I don't know what it is now, but certainly it's not like it used to be. So it was incentive for somebody coming from another country 
You know, you look around, you have to acclimate to what the people are. You don't want to grow pigs where there is uh, no farms. So you see what I'm saying? You have to change. For You come into this country and you want to assimilate and basically follow the rules and regulation of this country, which was fantastic for my family when we came here and even now. And even you, Anthony, I believe we had a good background with us, you and me and your mother, to instill you and you're a hard worker, to instill you to work hard, never take anything from anybody. You always, my father used to say, the only money you get is from the sweat from your brow. Okay, so that was something that you you never forget what your parents tell you this. Never mind about all this free stuff that you think you're going to get. It's all false. The only money you get is from the sweat from your brow. And people have been saying this for years. But do they follow? Maybe not. We do. I do. Okay. So what I was still in Isaac, basically, Anthony, you know all the what I think your mother and I taught you. And I think you can relate to uh, to Isaac the, the same way that we instill in you. You always you always hard work. I remember you, Anthony, when you were a little kid. You used to read instructions, how to put things together. I mean, I'm looking at you. You were on the floor, face down, and you looked at instructions. So maybe your grandfather had a little bit of doing doing uh, Papa Joe, but you read everything before you put together. You put you had a toy. You would read the instructions before you put it together. So basically, that's uh, something that was instilled all of us. So, so, so that's the same thing you have to do for Isaac. Yeah. You know, just don't jump into any conclusions. Just to follow directions, and I think you're going to be okay. At the time, Dad, how did how was it viewed? For people who didn't, you know, for other Italians who came over who didn't get involved in America. I mean, I remember one thing as uh, going over your parents' house, my grandparents' house, you know, they had a picture of, of President Kennedy on the wall, even long after he had, you know. Right. They, but that was when he, they came here, he was president, he's on the wall forever, right. Right. in perpetuity. Just like Jesus and uh, the Pope, right. basically. <laughs> so I don't understand that, but anyways. So I want to know, for example, you know, today it's cool to, you know, they say, oh, well, we have to maintain the culture. We have to, you know, you see a lot of people who don't want to assimilate, right? Right. But back in the 60s, what, what was the experience like of if you came over here and you didn't want to do anything American, what what would that how would that impact you socially as opposed to today you come over here you don't want to do anything american they people get, throw a freaking parade for you well see with, with us with, with my family when we came over the only thing that was i didn't like was that automatically the italians were associated with mobsters and mafiosi so called I really despise those people because of the small percentage of Italians that came over here and they were really bad apples, made it bad for everybody else, from other, you know, other Italians to get the reputation that, in fact, we are um, hardworking people, we're trying to mind our own business. You know, once again, you get money from sweat from your brow 
not what you're stealing or uh, you want to uh, twist somebody's arm to get money. But I, I, I'm, I'm glad in a way that kind of right now that's gone because some Italians, they were very vocal about that, including myself, that I didn't like, you know, being associated because I was Italian, automatically you are associated with the mob and uh, other uh, mischievous organizations. That was one thing that I, I kind of experienced a little bit when I came over. And it was a little difficult, I, I would say, probably maybe 10 years before, you know, finally that kind of was gone because there was a lot of Italians that were verbal. A lot of Italians that changed their last names, okay, because they didn't want to be associated with those bad uh, uh, apples or so-called. So, I, I, you know, the only thing what you have to do is be verbal about it, that you not agree with their uh, philosophies. So, basically, that's, that's the only thing. You, you, you will eliminate all those things if you are verbal about it. Don't just keep quiet and, and let, it, let it run. You just have to be very verbal and uh, uh, opponent of those people, type of people. That was good. I didn't even think to ask you that, but you answered a good question for me. So that was one of the things, actually, Anthony, that I, I kind of I remember. You know, when we moved, I thought your mother told you, right? Remember? No, she, Your mother was uh, was in a supermarket, and you were just a, a little baby. And some lady that was living in the back street, she said that because we had a I don't know what kind of vehicle we had at the time, and the lady told your mother, "So what kind of work are you? you what nationality are you?" you and, and my, uh, your mother said Italian. Is your is your uh, husband working for the mob? Mob because we had a fairly new vehicle. I mean that was really something that I didn't appreciate, and that was well that was actually 1979. Okay, so I would say it took a long time yeah. to to get rid of that reputation because you are Italian, and the same thing right now with the Muslims, right? I mean all the people that associate them. I mean. But they're not as verbal, I, I would say, than the Italians were. Look, look at the mayor of uh, New York there. What's his name? Rudy Giuliani. He got rid of the mob. He, he changed the city because he was, you know, it was tough. From your perspective, you know, what, 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 what do you think, Isaac, you know, in terms of you tried to give me a lot of good opportunities and you, you learned, got a lot of good learning and stuff like that. It's more than just about education now, as we're seeing, you know, what, what is, what does Isaac need to know in terms of what, what, what is it? What does he really need to know in terms of dealing with people to be successful now? Well, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of kids today, they go into college and I said, but today though, I don't know if some people, they're not really cut out to go to college. And you get a trade. You get an electrician trade. You have a plumbers, heating and ventilation. Okay, not those jobs. If you start your own company, they pay good. I mean, there is a lot of opportunity for that. It doesn't mean that you have to go to college to be uh, successful. You 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 need you need some common sense. But also, if you know, a lot of kids today, they go to college and they take some ridiculous courses that when you graduate, there is no jobs for it. 
What's happening now is that it looks like this culture is kind of dumbing down. You have all these foreigners, especially from different countries, where for some reason they and the engineering and the science, they are they seems to be more superior than the Americans. I don't understand it. That's something that you know Isaac is a little boy right now, and you, Anthony, you have to think about what you know. What what it is that either the school the schools are failing the American kids because maybe there is uh, too many influx of other people now you have to slow down your kid in order for somebody else to pick up right or even even if you send to a private school I, I don't know what the I don't know what the answer is but certainly I can see where all these jobs sometimes they go into to foreigners that they either here you know, legally or uh, otherwise, that maybe, I don't know what the problem is with the American kids that don't want to study or they want to just never party. I don't, they just have to be instilled in themselves that they need to study and they need to uh, get a, 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 an education that at the end of your education, you ha- you're going to either start your own company or you work for, for a company that pays good money. So it doesn't mean that you have to go to college, though. It means that if people don't want to go to college, they should take a trade that's always there. Like I said, an electrician, a plumber, even carpenters. I mean, carpenters are tough work. Masons, scars, very, not too many people that do mason, but they do, they do make a lot of money. I mean, if you have a, like my dad, my dad, my father made a lot of money. He was on his own. He had his own company, even though his fingers were broken up. But, I mean, for a fifth grade education, my father did very good. And one thing that he did, too, he learned from metric to English to, to the inches very quickly. So that's one thing I have to, every time I tell him, I said, uh, I will tell him that, you know, he, he had to learn from metric when he was 40-some years old, from metric to, to the inches, better than maybe some other people that were born here. So I don't know what it is. The, the American kids, they got to get on the ball and study courses and uh, subjects that they, when they get out of college, they, they get good jobs. How do you think it would be different if uh, instead of having to learn English when you came here, all of your driver's license, school tests, etc., were made available to you in your native language? I don't think it would help. Well, so for instance, your dad coming over here, he had to learn, he had to learn not only the language, but Different measurement systems. Yes, because every time you, 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 you do a structure, it's in inches. It's not metric. Okay, so we had to learn the 39 inches, uh, 39 and a quarter inch instead of the millimeters or centimeters. So you have to learn, and, and he was good. He was building steps and, and inches, and it was wonderful. Same thing with us, same thing with me. I mean, I, mean, I, was learn, I learned the metric, but when you come here, you have to learn what this country is all about. So, so how? Why is everybody wants to come in this country? You know, that's the thing that gets me. Everybody wants to come here, and then when they come here, they they always regurgitate what they have in their own country. But I guess. Yeah, it, it wouldn't. It would not help. No I, way. I think it would have actually held you back because you didn't. And that's kind of what I'm asking is like, in terms of if everything was available to you in Italian, then you wouldn't have had to learn English as quickly. And if you didn't have to learn English as quickly, no. then you wouldn't have progressed as quickly. It doesn't make any difference. 
right now, I'd rather just speak English most of the time than Italian. It sounds like it can hold them back if they don't, if they, it just makes it slower for them. It would, it would. So, I don't know, Dad, you got anything else? You wanna... No, that's about it. So there you have it. There's an interview with my dad and what I want my kids to pay attention to here. Number one is really understand the impact that being an Italian at that time in this country had in terms of people thinking that you were associated with the mob. And I didn't realize the impact that that had at the time in terms of my parents really wanting to get out and be social. They were very, I would say they kept to themselves. Uh, they, they let me go out, obviously, and, and partake in social and school activities. But they themselves, and they attended like uh, sports games and other stuff like that. But they themselves did not really pursue socialization. And looking back after hearing that, I can really kind of understand that. Because there was a culture at the time where that was glorified, that 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 mafia culture, so to speak, was glorified. And I'm really proud of, of my folks and my dad specifically for demonstrating that that was not something to be glorified. That was something that I did not realize the cost at the time, but I do now. And especially after listening to that, I definitely do realize that there was a cost to speaking out against that at the time. And what I really enjoy now is in the past decade, and believe it or not, it's taken that long for them to say that, they okay, they can go out and they can socialize and they don't have to uh, isolate themselves socially. And it makes me really happy to get a text from my folks and see that they're going out and they're, uh, they're engaging with other folks socially and that they're having a good time. That's really something that is uh, very fulfilling to me. At the same time, it also makes me realize that some action that they had taken at the time, yet they didn't explain, either because they didn't realize that it needed to be explained, or let's face it, there are just some things that we do subconsciously. That was passed on to me. I didn't know why you didn't socialize. I just knew that, hey, that's what they did. They seem to be fairly successful. I'm going to copy what they're doing, and I'm going to do a good job at work. I'm going to do a good job taking my kids places and, and making sure they engage. But social engaging socially for me, not important. I did not realize that I was simply copying what worked for them at the time and that those conditions no longer apply for me. So that was a huge wake-up moment for me that I just had as a result of making this um, making this little birthday gift for my dad. Another thing that I thought was really interesting was the perspective on schools. So uh, my dad was the first, first to graduate from, from his family, from college. And you would think that he would really be focused on college. He's focused on education. Now, I found it interesting that, you know, because what he knows is He's around uh, the skilled trades all day long. He's around people who are welding. He's around people who are putting together these giant public works projects. So that's what he sees in terms of the trades. We've talked about it 
since then. And he also recognizes trades include high-tech stuff nowadays. And from my perspective, I, I have to say that I agree with him. I'm not sure what the proper avenue for my children is in terms of education. Now, of course, if they want to go be a physician or if they want to do something of that nature, then sure, they have to pursue some formal education and they have to uh, sit for those boards. And and in order to sit for those board exams, they have to have a a medical degree. But there are a lot of things that they can do. It It brings up the question of, do you want to be a doctor or do you want to be really good at helping people live a healthy life? And defining those goals, I think, is something that I'm going to have to help my kids do because I'm not helping them to plan for the world of today. I'm helping them to plan for the world of 15 or 20 years from now and then their whole career from there. So I have to, I have to take that perspective. But I want to acknowledge from my dad's perspective, you know, what a gift to not be hyper-focused on have to graduate from college. You know, we may see that that's a trend that's coming through. Two points of distinction that I think are important for me to note for my kids. When my dad points out the issues with the educational system, and he points out how a lot of kids today in the U.S. are not keeping up with students internationally or foreigners who come to this country and oftentimes will outcompete U.S. students. He points out some of the issues, but I want to make a note to my kids that that may be part of the problem, but I don't think that that is the entirety of the problem. I think it's a lot more complex and there are a lot more factors at play than what my dad points out. So that's one thing that I think is important. Obviously, we weren't having a complete discussion about the education system. I would love to have that conversation with my dad, but I think it's important to note that that's, I feel, a piece of the problem. That's not the entirety of the problem. The other thing that I want to point out is my dad really focuses on the importance of hard work. And ultimately what that means is meritocracy. And I think that in today's day and age, I think that things have changed a lot from when my dad was growing up. And I think that hard work today is necessary, but probably not sufficient to get the type of success that maybe his dad had or maybe even is possible today. I think that there's a lot more factors at play than just being good at something. I think being connected with a larger network and a larger community who can put those skills to use is much more important than the skill itself and then the hard work itself. I think that just the nature of how things have changed, changed over time, I think that just focusing on hard work I personally have found that it's very easy to be taken advantage of if you only focus on hard work. I don't know what it was like in 1950. I don't know what it was like in 1970. But I can say today that if you focus on keeping your nose to the grindstone and are not taking the time to look around and see how things are shaping up around you, then you're setting yourself up to be taken advantage of by people who look for very hardworking, very conscientious people who are going to work really hard and never complain. 
and never advocate for themselves. So those are the two things that I want to point out that I think are nuanced specifically for my children and how things are potentially going to be changing not only from the past to the present, but looking forward into the future. I think number one, education system is there's a lot of factors at play. Number two is the fact that hard work may be necessary, but is not sufficient for success. And so those are the only additions that I wanted to point out on those two things from what my dad said. Another thing that I found really interesting was when we were talking about him coming here as a 15-year-old, knowing every language except English. He knew Italian, he knew some Latin, and he knew some French. Didn't know any English. And we're talking about how by being immersed and being required to learn English, it made him adapt faster. Whereas if he was given the opportunity to speak Italian for a while, then it might have slowed him down. Now, a really interesting observation from my perspective is his mom. So his mom came here. My grandmother came here. She worked in the home. So she could speak Italian as a first language. She never learned to drive. Well, or she never got a driver's license here. I think she drove in Italy, but she never got a driver's license here. So she didn't really have to learn, except for shopping and doing the grocery shopping, how to, how to really be literate or speak English. Now she could. She could be very conversational, but it wasn't a priority for her. It wasn't a, if you don't learn this, then you're going to have a really hard time here. And what we saw, or at least what I saw as a grandchild, was that was a crutch over time for her. Whereas for my grandfather, who had to learn to speak English, and for my, my, uh, my dad and his uh, brother and sister, they had to learn to speak English. And the, the better they could speak English and the better they could communicate directly translated to more, I don't want to say more status in the community, but just more advancement in their career and in their lives. And so I found that to be really interesting because I had that dichotomy there of seeing my grandmother who, um, even in her 80s, you could have taken her and you could have moved her back to Italy and she would have like been able to fit right in. Like it was like you put her in like a time machine and you could have just like put her right back um, and where, where she had, had left. But my dad, his brother, his sister, father, maybe, I don't know, but even, even my grandpa um, were very, very well adapted to the culture here and very successful in, in communicating. And I think it's a double-edged sword because you want to help. You want to help people get a start. And I, my dad has some stories too of how he was treated in that school. He talks about going into the school and he didn't, he didn't say this in the interview, but he talks about that one-way corridor, how there was a sign that said one way because the, the, the halls were so filled with students and so you're only allowed to walk one way in the corridors. And he told me a story of a guidance counselor who told him that he shouldn't apply to college because he would never amount to anything. And I'm glad that he didn't listen to that person. And I, I don't think that that is the correct approach that anyone should take. No one should be told that they're not going to amount to anything. Um, but I know that that lit a fire under his rear in terms of making him uh, try harder. I don't think that, as I said, that's not, that's not, you should, no one should have to 
um, go through that and be told that. I think that the real lesson for my kids here, and I think how this dovetails into our parenting style, is uh, my wife and I have a parenting style with our kids where we reward effort versus outcome. We praise practice. We don't necessarily praise winning the game or getting the good grade. Of course, we'll say, we will acknowledge that. But what we really focus on praising is the focused practice, the repetition of effort, the application of effort. And where I think that this dovetails nicely into my dad's story is understanding that, hey, if you are faced with that sink or swim environment, that sometimes if you approach it with the correct attitude, then it can make you stronger in the outcome than if you just dipped your toes in the water. If you are focused on the practice, if you're focused on putting in the effort, then you may have that positive outcome as a result of that that you might not have if you can constantly uh, rely on uh, a crutch. And I'll just use the example of, of my grandmother versus uh, my dad and his, his dad and his siblings. And I think, you know, I think that's going to be the end of it for this one. I, I think, as I said, I, I, I feel that I have gotten a gift out of this recording simply because I learned that little piece about being active in the community as a result of listening to the old interview. And that's a huge gift to me because now I understand what one of my subconscious behaviors is. And I have a much better way to change and address that. And I also explained that to my wife. She said, well, that makes total sense. And now we have a common point of reference from which to work. And so what a great gift that is. And for my children, having this I think is also going to be a huge gift because now not only do they have the understanding from my wife and myself of how we parent them, but they also have another data point from a grandparent. And so hopefully I can go and get the rest of the grandparents because I think that would be very useful to have as well. So that's it. Thank you very much. Happy birthday, dad. And I love you.